Today's episode is sponsored by Mill Creek Entertainment. Mill Creek is the industry leader when it comes to value price DVD and Blu-ray features and compilations. They have one of the largest catalogs out there ranging from kids programming, classic films and television, independent cinema, documentary, Latino cinema, and they even produce their own content in-house, which is pretty freaking cool. Mill Creek is a trusted partner with some of our favorite studios, including Sony Pictures, Walt Disney Entertainment, Warner Brothers, CBS Home Entertainment, and many more. They've got their hands in just about everything. And I gotta say, my favorite aspect of Mill Creek is how plentiful they are. It's rare that I've gone to a store and not seen their now ubiquitous logo on display. I'm sure you own at least one other title without even realizing it, and to make it even more strange, I was at Menards the other day and saw a whole selection of Mill Creek titles. <laughs> So, available at your local Menards, for those of you in the Midwest. Yeah. Um, be sure to check out their new Hammer Horror box set, which I'm not sure whether or not that's at Menards or not, but but they put it out. Their Rita Hayworth collection, many titles within the wildly popular Ultraman series, and the David Gordon Green comedy, Your Highness. They're also well known for putting out great television series like Community, The Mindy Project, The Unbreakable Timmy Schmidt, and Eureka. God, I love Eureka. The the goddamn Sci-Fi Channel can put together an addictively cheesy series. Can't they? Well, they they have a knack of having the lowest budgets possible, but they still make it addicting as hell. <laughs> but speaking of addictingly cheesy, don't forget about Santa with muscles. Oh my God, how could I forget? Yes, Mill Creek is also responsible for distributing that little Hulk Hogan Christmas classic. So head to Mill Creek. ENT.com and see what their collection has to offer. That's Mill Creek ENT.com. Mill Creek Ent. I guarantee you'll find something great. I always think of Calculon. Well, I have this insane acting talent. Oh, I love Calculon. <laughs> What's not to love? <laughs> Um, so, uh, that cat is still using my roof as a litter box, except I think it has now has some digestive tract issues. It is a real mess up there. Funny enough, so my mom does not listen to this show very often, but when it pops up on Facebook, she'll occasionally listen to it. Um, and she was like, oh, I turned, tuned into your Meet Me in St. Louis episode. I was like, oh, did, did you like it? She's like, I didn't get very far into it. He's like, the other guy was talking about cats shitting on his roof. (laughs) I was like, did, is that, did you stop listening? She's like, no, I just had other things to do. I was like, okay, <laughs> okay, okay. I just wanted to make sure that didn't push you away. <laughs> you gotta you gotta fight through the cat shit parts in order to get cat to the Cat shit room. on a hot tin roof. That's the name of your autobiography. <laughs> cat shit. <laughs> it's even fun to say. It's, it's just funny just cat shit. Cat shit. Cat shit. Uh, oh. <laughs> so, how... How have things been going since the last time we talked about how things are going? So, a, a, a little background for our listeners. We we decided to record two episodes today, though they'll release further apart. But we we literally just finished recording the Mr. Smith Goes to Washington episode. Yeah, so, we've I, already I had enough time caught to, up. I had enough time to go pee, get myself an Arizona green tea with jinxing and honey. Jinxing. And now, here we are again. <laughs> Um, so not much has happened. We already know all of the ins and outs, but, uh, we still wanted to give you an obnoxious, long, cold open before we get to anything that you care about. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I didn't know about the, the cat shit on Nick's roof. <laughs> well, you knew about um, it. You didn't hear the update. Yeah, yeah. 
And then um, I guess if, if anything, um, it hasn't if 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 it hasn't come out yet by the time that you listen to this, it'll be out very shortly after. But it should be up by then. Uh, the Shameless Picture Show. We are looking into what all needs to go into getting us uh, on Letterboxd. I'm personally on it, um, and I think we actually have a page we just haven't done anything with. <laughs> What we want to do with the letterbox page is we're going to go through and I'm going to essentially make a review for every single film that we've talked about on this show and link to the episode. Um, so that way you can go back and track along and if you want to, you know, you can follow us on Letterboxd and that way if you say watch Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, you can have links to where to listen to the episode, if there's a live video for it or if there's a YouTube video for it where you can get all those links and everything will be there. Maybe a little one word sentence saying we liked it, we hated <laughs> it, you know, though we don't hate many things on this show. No, okay. And I'm also going to link together like, you know, so in the last episode we I talked about William Lustig's violent film Vigil that's going to have a link on it too and i might even if i'm feeling up to it might even put like a time code here's where it starts um you know Um, i I, I have not poked around on letterbox but i also assume that we could put our respective shame lists on yes you can we can you you can see up and coming you can yeah it's it's we and we created a shame list on there years ago i have not updated it um so then, yeah, and I'm on there personally, and so you can find me on there. Um, I'm under just my name, Michael <laughs> Vyers. Uh, actually, no, I think I'm, I'm my screen name is like Vyers102008, but I'm on there. You can find me. My wife Amanda's on there. Um, come say hi and check out what we're doing. And it's also interesting, too, because if you follow along, you can kind of get an idea of what's coming up on the Shameless right. Picture Show by keeping track of me on Letterboxd. So Insider that should, info. If that's not up by the time you're hearing this, it'll be up very shortly thereafter. Cool. Links in the bio. Yeah, links in, in the, the bio. In the description, Ooh. I guess. <laughs> so, Nick, was there anything else you want to talk about before we get to our topic? No, right that's, I guess, I'm tapped. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a whole lot more to say either. Um, weird. In the last episode, we did it live, so I played clips and everything, but now, like, I don't really need to. Right, <laughs> I don't yeah, need to play the trailer. We'll just fix it in post. Yeah, unless you want me to. Unless no, you want no. me to play the trailer for you. <laughs> All right, well, then, let me take a sip of tea for the working man. Coffee for me. And then let me read my intro. It always bugs me when there's a little bit of like. Oh, yeah, you gotta can, do so the always, up. I so. have to drink it out right away, or else it's just. It, it festers. Warning! This movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation The Shameless Picture Show. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Byers, and with me, as always, is a man who seems to constantly ask me if I've ever been to a Turkish prison. <laughs> Nick Richards. Do you like On today's episode. movies, Michael? <laughs> Have you ever seen a grown man naked? <laughs> that one may be uncomfortable. Oh, yes, yeah. That, we did, we'll get into that, but yes, I, I concur. <laughs> On today's episode, we wanted to do something a little more lighthearted and tackle film that was requested by a friend of mine. I said friend. By a friend of mine. His name is uh, Chad Livingston. Uh, I went to film school with him, and I work with him. 
it's considered by and actually he wanted me to see this movie so bad that he was like have you ever seen airplane i was like no uh should i and he's like yes and he's like you should do it as an episode and i was like yeah maybe we'll get to it at some point five minutes later he came back with the blu-ray and like here i bought this for you now you can review it like oh shit now i kind of feel like i have to (laughs) it's considered by many to be one of the funniest films of all time Many, not all, and is an inspiration for a lot of Midwestern filmmakers considering the trio that directed it came from Wisconsin. Today we're discussing the Zucker Brothers comedy spoof classic, Airplane. Ex-pilot Ted Stryker is a war veteran and cab driver who struggles in life with his stewardess girlfriend because of his fear of flying. While their relationship is on the rocks, he shrugs past his fear of flying to get on his flight to get on her flight to win her heart back. Ted must get over his issues with the skies because after the, well, I, I wrote this really fast because after the in-flight meal causes everyone on board to get sick, it's up to him to find his confidence and land the plane safely. All the while dealing with hijinks, clever wordplay, Leslie Nielsen, and a large inflatable dummy autopilot named Otto. Created by the creative team of Jerry Zucker, Jim Abrahams, and David Zucker, Z-A-Z for short, while watching late night TV where they saw the 1957 film Zero Hour, they found themselves loving the film, but felt it was a little too serious and began to riff on the film in in true Mystery Science Theater uh, style. They kept adding jokes and gags to make the very serious film more fun and goofy. This was their idea. Remake Zero Hour, beat by beat, but make it fun. And with this genius stroke, Airplane was born, and after the success of Kentucky Fried Movie, which they wrote, they had enough pull to get Airplane made. The film was a huge success, and helped launch careers the careers of ZAZ, and helped make Leslie Nielsen, a serious actor in 1980, the comedic foil we grew to know him as. The film was also well-liked by critics, despite its goofy and sometimes stupid subject matter. The film stars Robert Hayes, Julie Haggerty, Peter Graves, Lloyd Bridges, and Leslie Nielsen as Dr. Rummick. Directed and written by the team of Jerry Zucker, Jim Abrahams, and David Zucker from 1980, this is Airplane. Stand by for the most extraordinary chain of events ever swept up into high adventure. Hey, Larry, where's the forklift? Forklift! Just over there for the baggage loader! Airplane. Airplane is drama. Uh, this is Dr. Brody at the Mayo Clinic. There's a passenger on your Chicago flight 209 or a little girl named Lisa Davis en route to Minneapolis. She's scheduled for a heart transplant. I want you to make sure that she's kept in a reclined position and that a continuous watch is kept on her IV. Airplane is action. Airplane is romance. I love you, Elaine. I love you. Airplane is music. There is only one river. There is only one sea. Airplane is dancing. Has the screen been so big? You ever been in a cockpit before? No, sir. I've never been up in a plane before. Peter Graves. You ever seen a grown man naked? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. My name is Roger Murdoch. 
I'm an airline pilot. Leslie Nielsen. This woman has to be gotten to a hospital. A hospital? What is it? It's a big building with patients, but that's not important right now. Lloyd Bridges. Johnny, what can you make out of this? This? Well, I can make a cap, or a brooch, or a pterodactyl. Robert Stack. All right, Steve, let's face a few facts. And we hope you enjoy the rest of your flight. Julie Haggerty. By the way, is there anyone on board who knows how to fly a plane? Can you fly this plane and land it? Robert Hayes. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. I've got to get out of here. Calm down now. Get back to your seat. I'll take care of this guy. Calm down. Get a hold of yourself. Don't be one of them. Everything's been told. The most incredible adventure the screen has ever created. He's coming right at us! The big news is... Airplane. Sorry, I'm taking a couple extra notes. <laughs> I'm glad you have notes because I don't have much. So, Nick... After your notes are done, what did you think of the what did you think of uh, airplane? So, well, I, I'm actually going to turn that around on you because I've seen this before. Oh, I didn't know you. Oh, saw yeah, this. yeah. I'm I'm, I'm well versed in in airplane. This was a first time for you. Um, I, yes. I have a sense that I know what your opinion was, but for the audience, Michael, what did you think of airplane? How about we do something a little bit different again? <laughs> How about you tell me what you think I think of the film? I think you think that it was not a great film and was not that entertaining for you. That's pretty <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, I went in wanting to really like this film. I did. Especially because like, I, I, I like Mel Brooks's films. And, and, and I guess just to preface, maybe I was just in a... Just in a mood when I went to go see when I when I sat down to watch this film, but I I think there's a couple things. So yes, I didn't love this film. I didn't hate it either. Um, um, I I would probably even rewatch this film again and give it another try. And hell, the the copy that Chad bought me has Airplane Two, so fuck it, maybe I'll oh. watch Airplane Two. Yeah. Um. Which everyone tells me not to see. <laughs> to the best of, but my, hey, if Ghostbusters have taught me anything, maybe I like it better. Right. To the best of uh, my recollection, I felt that they were very similar in tone, same, same quality, if if you can use that word. But like they felt in the same realm to me. I I was not disappointed by Airplane Two. Okay. Um. So yeah, I didn't hate the film, and like I said, I just could have probably been in a mood when I when I saw it. I just I felt like I wasn't fun. the gags weren't landing with me as well as I wanted them to. Um, and and I try not to do this, but it's sometimes harder than other times. I don't have any sentimentality towards this film. Um. And I specify that because 
I'm sure there's films I do have sentimental attachment to that I can ignore some of these things easier because I do have an attachment. Absolutely. To that that's something that comes up over and over on this show with this particular format is the difference in reaction to something that you fell in love with earlier on when you were younger, not exposed to as much. You know, mm-hmm. your, what what your first impression of when you're younger affects how you view it older it's you you brought up our ghostbusters episode and how i was blinded to the misogynistic problem problems of vankerman's character even though once you pointed it out i'm like oh shit yeah and usually i'm pretty in tune to that kind of thing but i was filtering it out because of my young love for the film yeah I would say I I, I, I I described it best on my letterbox review for this movie. Airplane, where every joke is more offensive than the last. <laughs> and I'm not a prude. I don't mind some offensive jokes, but I, just, I feel like that's all they had going for them. It was either very offensive jokes or absurdist jokes. And like where I found myself enjoying the film is I enjoyed the wordplay and enjoyed the cleverness of some of the jokes. I, but like some of the things I didn't enjoy is like, I didn't enjoy like a lot of the, 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 the racial jokes. Um, I can kind of look past some of it and cause and just ch- kind of chalk it up as being the time period. Um, though I thought the, 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 the overly white woman talking fake jive, I thought was actually pretty funny. Um, <laughs> well, th- there's actually, I, um, I had a conversation with Raina about this, uh, as we were watching it. I found, at my first reaction as I was revisiting this film is, oh, it's it's relying on race-related jokes and uh, sexist jokes more than I remembered, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was starting to have an issue with it, but then as it went on, I found that the jokes that used race as a setup weren't mm-hmm. for this is my opinion again i will i've i've given this disclaimer before i am white as fuck i am male <laughs> i present as cis you know I, I am not the authority on whether or not a joke utilizing race is okay or not mm-hmm. but the conversation that i had with reina and my interpretation of these jokes is while they use race as a setup they're not using race as at like the expense of the joke mm-hmm. so so take for instance when um elaine and uh striker he has a flashback of the two of them going to this african it was really a challenge during the year introducing them to our western culture At first, they didn't know what to think of us, but soon we gained their trust. Mm-hmm. And already it's like, ooh, okay, I'm uncomfortable, I'm uncomfortable. But then, so like, Elaine is talking with the, the uh, I'm using air quotes for those not listening, native women, um, about keeping their food fresh. Okay, there's there's this like white savior element that's always problematic. Yes. And then... She is like showing, but then this turns into like a Tupperware party. Mm-hmm. So the joke seems to me, from my perspective, actually making fun of both 
white suburbans, white suburbia, and the and also making fun of the like white savior complex of we need to come save these people from their nativism and i'll do it by showing introducing them to tupperware it'll help you better prepare storing foods for the up and coming monsoon months also supperware products are ideal for storing leftovers to help stretch your food dollar this two-quart seals-em-right container keeps hot dog buns fresh for days. So while the setup uses race, I felt like the joke wasn't at the expense of of Africans. So it, it seemed to turn what would be a problematic joke on its head to me. And, yeah. and I saw and, that several times. Again, that's, you know, I have to disclaim it because... And, and, that's, and that's, that's all... Fair. And uh, ultimately, I was able to kind of look past a lot of that stuff. Like I said, it's because some of it was well done or some of it was very much an aspect of its time period. But as I was watching the film, I realistically think what wasn't working for me is... And I wouldn't say necessarily it's the type of humor because that's not... It, it, it is a very specific type of is. dry punny humor and i can 100 percent see this kind of comedy is not for everyone like this is like, not uh, universally funny this is because what niche what i funny. thought the film did w- well was i appreciate that every, nothing was really played for laughs <laughs> most times it was played seriously and that actually made it funnier for me <laughs> um and i and like i said i like the films of say mel brooks where but even like w- looking back in some of his films now, some of his stuff doesn't work as well as it really depends on who 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 he was writing with. Like okay. if he was working with Gene Wilder, who wrote a lot of his his classic stuff, I think it's great. When he's left to his own devices, say <laughs> while I have a fondness for because growing up with it, Robin Hood Men in Tights does not hold nearly up does not hold up nearly as well <laughs> as it used to. Same thing with Spaceballs. Even he admits that. Try here. Stop. What the hell am I looking at? When does this happen in the movie? Now. You're looking at now, sir. Everything that happens now is happening now. What happened to then? We passed then. When? Just now. We're at now now. Go back to then. When? Now. Now? Now. I can't. Why? We missed it. When? Just now. When will then be now? Soon. But for me, I think it really comes... And like I love the Austin Powers films, which I think... Uh, does a good job of being absurdist yet grounded in a weird way. What for me, what one of the things that was not working about this film was one, I didn't care about the characters of the story. And I don't know most people are going to be like, well, it's a comedy. Who cares? Well, going back to Austin Powers, he's a well-written character. He's a, he has dimension that I care about and I care about what he's trying to accomplish. I don't really care about Ted Stryker and don't get me wrong. His, 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 um, his drinking problem joke <laughs> hit pretty well, and I like the flash, the disco flashback sequence. I thought that was stuff was all fun, but like I didn't care about him. I I, I really like Julie Haggerty as Elaine. Yes. I thought she was a lot of fun. Yep. Uh, very underrated in this film, but um, and then I just thought some of the jokes went on way too long, <laughs> to the point where it just wasn't funny anymore for me. Like I, I think of the scene of the nun 
singing and then they keep knocking out the 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 iv it's like i just like this scene's painful <laughs> the scene's not even funny anymore because it just keeps happening the kids reactions aren't at least for me weren't that funny honestly i was so close to turning the film off until leslie nielsen showed up and then i was like oh okay Th- this like he brought you back like. yeah like i thought captain over was was fine some of his jokes went a little over a little south board. a little south for me yes uh i loved kareem abdul jabbar in the, in the role playing himself <laughs> the way that they break that uh the fourth wall with the kid like no yeah you tried jump running up and down a tour for 45 minutes yes um and so it's like that, that's ultimately how i like it like there, there's things i definitely liked like i liked i liked lloyd bridge's character um um, I, I laughed super hard when, you know, he, he so he, uh, I'm trying to think of who Lloyd Bridges, like his, um, he's Steve McCroskey. He was the, um, he's the guy that kept saying, oh, well, it's a bad day to quit smoking. Oh, yes. It's a bad yeah. day to... <laughs> I My, picked I a love... hell of a week to stop huffing glue. <laughs> I love the scene where he's like, he goes and leans over his desk with a cigarette and then there's a framed <laughs> picture of him in the exact same yes. pose behind him. I just thought, I thought that was great. But then like some of the jokes, like I just thought were like really dumb. Like when he's calling the Mayo Clinic and they just have jars of mayonnaise behind him. I was like, I bet you guys really thought that was funny when you came up with that. <laughs> give give like, me uh, uh, ham on six, hold the mayo. <laughs> yeah. Here's my response to your reaction. You're not wrong, <laughs> right? Like, everything that you said about this film is true. Like, I did not care at all about the character development. I actually mm-hmm. wrote about it in my notes. But I think they they care so little about it that it's okay for me to not care about it. Like, and that's fair. They, they're like... They don't even make an attempt... To build story here. Every single line, every single shot of this film is either a setup to a joke or a punchline to a joke. Most mm-hmm. comedies, they try and build a narrative and sprinkle jokes throughout. Whereas this film is, again, every single line, every single shot is either a setup or a punchline. Mm-hmm. And it made it okay for me. Like, I'm I'm the story guy. I'm the one that like has to talk about the narrative and has to talk about the character development. And I didn't care about any of that in this because they didn't. They didn't even pretend that they cared about it. It's like a comedy I spy where you're just spending an hour and a half finding the jokes that are happening in the background versus the jokes that are happening in the foreground. And not, not all of them land. And mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. <laughs> they, um, there is just something arguable. Like we can talk about taste and and a comedy effectiveness, but there is something quote unquote funny happening every single second of this film. <laughs> Yeah, and actually that leads me to something interesting that I remember reading recently was a. I couldn't read the entire article without having to pay for it, and I'm not <laughs> signing up for uh, first paragraph is for. fine with me. <laughs> so let me let me make sure from Telegraph, it's a UK website. Um, they did a um, they, someone. 
once again, I couldn't read the entire article. Someone did a, a test to find out what the funniest movies are of all time. And they use a laugh per minute a uh, structure where okay. they can figure it out. And apparently Airplane is considered one of the funniest movies of all time. Scientifically, because there's three laughs per minute yeah. in the film. <laughs> you may not find that style of comedy funny, and that's yeah. fair. But they well, it, packed it in. <laughs> they definitely did. And I guess one of the things that like I am struggling with myself is what specifically about this film I wasn't gravitating towards. Because there's there's films in its vein that I do enjoy. But for some reason, I was struggling with Airplane. Sure. And I don't know if it's because... like. The people I was watching it with weren't enjoying it as much either, or or what it is. Because um, like I was excited to see it because I like Leslie Nielsen quite a bit, um, but it just for whatever reason this wasn't working. Well, for and me. and I'll say it again: like this is niche comedy. This is not yeah. universal comedy. If if it didn't speak to you, like I am not going to go well. Your opinion on comedy is wrong. Like, I get it. <laughs> I get that this kind of comedy is not for everyone. And especially, too, too because, like, um, I'm a big fan of the TV show The Goldbergs. Okay. And in this last season they did. So it, it's almost becoming a trope now where it's becoming a lot less funny. But started around season one, maybe two or three, they started doing one episode a season dedicated to some famous movie. Okay. And the first time they did it was kind of funny. It's like, oh, this is the Back to the Future episode where they're like recreating scenes from Back to the Future and talking about how important the movie was to them. But now, it's, since they do it every single season, it's just like... It lost it, its luster. It, yeah, and like this season they did an Airplane episode. And it was kind of funny because they brought back a lot of cast members from Airplane. Um, but it was realistically, the entire episode was like the lead character, Adam... They're on an airplane, so he's quoting every line from the movie. Just and every time someone sets him up for something, he just keeps quoting it. And and I was like, this episode doesn't seem that funny to me. <laughs> and and then I kept thinking it was maybe because I don't know the movie. Yeah. And then I was like, well, I'm excited to see the movie because maybe then I'll get those references and everything. And I saw the movie, and I was like, and don't get me wrong, I, there was times I was laughing because. Uh, and I have, and I'll explain that in a second. Um, there were times I was laughing, but I just did not find it to be the laugh riot that I was expecting. And I actually thought of um, a newer film, the uh, the Deadpool films. If you've seen those, I, I have not. They are very similar in terms of they pack so many jokes into the film that it's impossible for at least one of them not to land. With sure, them. you're going to find something <laughs> funny in that film. And um, and that's how the Deadpool films are. So even though, like, I remember leaving the first Deadpool film, like, I was laughing and I was having a good time. And someone asked me what I thought of it. And I was like, oh, I hated it. <laughs> They're like, how did you hate it? It's like, it's like you were laughing. I was like, doesn't mean it was a well-made movie. If you if you have a comedian on stage telling nothing but jokes, one of them probably going to make you laugh. Right, doesn't mean he's right. a good comedian. <laughs> um, and that's honestly how I felt. Like, I, though... I have a lot of respect for the film because it did things that I do find rather enjoyable. I love that they had the actors giving relatively straight performances. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, Leslie Nielsen is the king of that. Like, his straight man delivery in this is perfect for the tone of the film. Yeah. And I love that he wanted to do this film. <laughs> 
because apparently a lot of people passed on it. Like um, Peter Graves originally didn't want to do this film. Okay. He thought it would be, he thought it was stupid. He actually said it was one of the worst scripts he'd ever read. Um, but then you have Leslie Nielsen. He's like, fuck yeah, I want to do this. Because <laughs> if you look at like Leslie Nielsen's career up to that point, like, because we, on New Year's, we had watched, um, what is it called? Um, Poseidon Adventure. Okay. Uh, and Leslie Nielsen plays the captain in that film. And he, it's a completely straight right. performance. Yeah. He's doing everything, you know, he, he's a legitimate actor. Um, and I remember as a kid watching the Poseidon Adventure with, like, my parents. And any time that Leslie Nielsen said anything, they would start laughing. It was like, nothing he just said was funny. And they're like, yeah, but... He but does it's all these funny roles. <laughs> Everything he does is funny. I was like, I didn't. Funny enough, I was used to him being serious right, before man. I saw. Him. I, it wasn't until he was I, until I saw Mr. Magoo as a kid that I saw him. <laughs> well, and this was kind of that turnaround time. point for him where yeah. he started doing things like Naked Gun, and I think he was in Spy Hard, and these kind of um, gag-filled comedies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's just interesting, and I appreciate that he wanted to do this so badly that he thought, "Hey, I have a lot to offer for comedy." Yeah, which I thought that was kind of cool. Um, so yeah, it's it's one of those situations that I can see why this movie resonated with people because. On the surface, so much of this film shouldn't work. <laughs> you know, doing a comedy and having Elmer Bernstein scoring it and doing a very serious score. It kind of at times almost feels um, soap opera-y with, yeah, like with the ha- acting delivery and the music and the swelling and like everything's yeah. just turned up a little too much. Um, like the guy who he, he Elmer Bernstein did the music for the Ten Commandments, To Kill a Mockingbird, The Great Escape, and then he's <laughs> But like I kind of love it though. Like it it works from the comedy aspect. Like if you, it's an irreverent choice, right? Like it yes. it fits with that irreverent tone and kind of their their flagrant disregard for <laughs> for what they're supposed to be doing 100 percent. so um, it's like it's 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 weird for me to explain it but like i have a lot of respect for what this film does does because like you can definitely see that newer filmmakers have saw this film and were really inspired by it well, i i i would point out anchorman like yeah. that has the same kind of like joke per minute thing the mm-hmm. The disregard for, like, the importance of narrative, uh, the the kind of dry humor where it's funny because of how not funny it is. Like, it's the just ridiculous over-the-topness of some of the jokes. I I would and, point to Airplane if, if saying where, you know, Anchorman pulled some of its inspiration from. Yeah, and, like, I also think it was, a, it was, a, a, it was like, a little piece of genius for... Um, the film because like they also wanted, or so originally when they were making the film, the 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 backers of the film they wanted them to cast comedy actors like Dom DeLuise. Okay, like Dom DeLuise would work very well in this film, and I feel like it's almost part like 
That that would be the the more Mel Brooks approach, right? Who, who let's, was let's in get a bunch Robin of Hood comedy and people. <laughs> yeah, let's get a bunch of comedy people in this, and they're going to do a good job yeah. doing comedy. Where instead, the Zucker brothers and uh, Phil Abramson, they were like, well, "Let's get these serious actors." There were who, very few of them actually telling jokes. Yeah, like, and let's get them to just have to react to this craziness around them, or in some cases, not not react. reacting. Yeah. Not reacting, and and that that I feel like that made a big change in Hollywood in, in a lot of ways. Because think about how many actors now, comedy actors nowadays, who can do drama. Yep. Like I think of like, um, um, I can't think of the guy's name. Give me a second. Yep. Um, oh, and fill the dead air by saying uh, Jim Carrey, who who yeah. went from like the Ace Ventura. Movies to things like The Majestic and Eternal Sunshine for the Spotless Mind. And, and Yeah, and then, or you got an actor like, say, Jason Sudeikis, who does comedy. Yep. He has been doing a lot of serious roles, too, but then he can also do comedy in this vein where he, <laughs> the comedy is the fact that he is being so straight mm-hmm. throughout it. Um, and I feel like that made a big change in film. And then, like, hell, I don't think, uh, Seth MacFarlane would have a career if it wasn't for something like Airplane. Right. You can see how this movie was the shit for him. And and I would also take that same comparison to support my comment earlier about how this film uses race in its yeah. joke telling. Where it it's a setup that most people, most writers use poorly and, and that's where the racial problems come in where this film from my perspective just like seth MacFarlane can do uh when he's at his best is flipping that where he's using race to then turn the joke around on the white people mm-hmm. yeah <sighs> um uh, something that i for me airplane felt a lot like a marx brothers film like like mm-hmm. duck soup, where yeah, where so so I, I haven't seen a lot of Marx Brothers work, but it's like kind of just a show. It, it's not really about the story. It's a it's a platform for the Marx Brothers to be irreverent for an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And now now the Marx Brothers do tend to be a little more punchliney. From the acting perspective, whereas Airplane, the actors aren't the ones telling the punchline. It's more of the the tertiary character. You know, it it's the the reporters saying, "All right, guys, let's take some pictures," and then they start grabbing all the pictures off the wall. Where the the core cast are the deadpan, serious ones, and all the chaos is happening around them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the, the the fact that the doctor doesn't react when the heart is like jumping around his desk. He doesn't look at it at all. It's just that's what the heart's doing. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's it almost to me like it almost feels like to me like um, so at times the film felt like a Looney Tunes cartoon. Sure. Yep. And it's like and it sometimes it didn't i'm trying i'm trying to work through the best way to describe (laughs) this for me the film worked best when 
the situations were absurd or the wordplay or things like that. What I guess the times where the film didn't work as well for me was when it was just so overly cartoony. Like I didn't, I, I honestly just did not find the the constant use of the autopilot to be that funny. I like I I'll agree with that. That. The autopilot bits didn't really do and much like for you know me. if they would have done it once like oh the autopilot comes out and it's an inflatable man it's like oh okay that's kind of funny but then it he that autopilot essentially became a character <laughs> and I was like okay this isn't nearly as funny or like the Mayo Clinic and the heart hopping around like that stuff wasn't working as well for me um, for for me then, a lot of their callbacks did really work and and I. They will call back to a joke more times than most writers and films do, and again, it not for everyone. For me, a lot of those callbacks worked. Mm-hmm. Though for for me, like what what worked really well, like I think the pinnacle of this film and is and like what I, I still think the funniest scene of this film is the scene where. Uh, Ted and Elaine meet each other. You have like that disco sequence. Um, I don't know why in that case the film worked <laughs> so and it worked so well for me, where, the, where parts of the, the rest of the film did not. And the only thing I can think of is the fact that in that part of the film, one, I think it opened up the it opened up a little bit more. Like I, I, sometimes I feel like the the bad airplane set just worked against the film sometimes <laughs> where I like that they had more to play with and more to work with in that sequence. Um, but yeah, first I, that, that scene was the funniest scene in the film for me anyways. Um, and it just, it just kind of rolled this perfect line of, of being out there, but not too crazy. Uh, but, there, and there was a lot going on. Like, I don't know. It's hard. It's, it's, yeah, it's, no, it, it, comedy is such a weird thing to try to explain like why it works for you and right, why it doesn't. Right. And, and, and this film is like the epitome of that because we're not going to be talking about character development. We're not going to be talking about storyline. We're not going to be talking about the lighting. All it is is the comedy. And it's like a kitchen sink kind of comedy where, like you said before, like they throw everything at you in hopes that some of it will stick. And for mm-hmm. some... People, more of it sticks, and and some just a few things stick. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> um, yeah. No, it's it's hard to uh, pin down comedy what what makes somebody laugh and what doesn't. But this is all that film has. Mm-hmm. You know, it it can't ride any other merit. So if it didn't, if the comedy didn't work for you, then the film didn't work for you. Yeah, and honestly, like it's one of those things too. Like I feel like. The world needed this film at that time. <laughs> like in its own weird way, I feel like I feel like the the world needed this type of of comedy to kind of just it had to happen. Yeah, you know, because you're you're getting a little bit of this from the Mel Brooks films, but like this kind of took that formula and just really one up it. Well, at times it's even making fun of filmmakers. And how mm-hmm. seriously people take filmmaking. Um, in, and I think that's in part due to how the characters, the main characters are taking this so seriously. Um, and, and 
like it, it's it's like the characters and the actors playing those characters are taking the film more seriously than the filmmakers are. <laughs> yes, yes, and in, actually, in a beautiful way that that really works for me. In some ways, I actually think this movie is is while it, once again didn't work for me. It it feels it feels it, it feels like it's got no restraints, and in that way, it's genius and kind of. Art and experimental in its own way because very rare. Like, and I can speak to myself for this, and probably even speak to you to some extent with this. So often, our filmmakers, we are so tied to this idea of logic that I feel like we struggle to do anything that does not make sense logically. Right. Yeah. And what makes this film so interesting is that here they are. They're point. They're pushing things beyond the point of logic none <laughs> of this stuff makes any sense yes none of this stuff makes any sense and um it doesn't matter right yeah and it's almost freeing in that like you know i've spent a lot of time in school studying experimental film and so just the they're they're doing it with a different intent you know the intent is to get a laugh over trying to say something but it's 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 very experimental in that way yeah. where yeah. You know, and, why can't we have an inflatable doll be an autopilot <laughs> that is sentient right and we we talked about this a bit with uh Suspiria where that film didn't really work for me but I acknowledge the importance of experimental film and and I think you're right in that this is kind of experimental comedy mhm yeah like um, this this is yeah, I think that's actually the best way to say it. It is experimental comedy. <laughs> Even, you know, going back to talking about the the filmmaking fun of filmmaking, I I thought about that a lot with the I'm going to reduce this down to intel trying attempting to intelligently break down the boob shot. <laughs> but mm -hmm. there's when there's this I think it was when they were told to get into their crash positions or something and everybody starts freaking out. And then there's this Gratuit. That was a pretty great moment when they all just like <laughs> get it. Please get into your crash positions, and then, and then this like it's framed up so that it's just the torso, like from the neck to the belly button, of this bare female chest that then bounces and then walks off camera. It's it goes beyond gratuitous boob shot to the point that it feels to me, and maybe I'm over analyzing this, but I don't think I am. It's making fun of gratuitous boob shots. I agree. I can see that. Um, it's what like, I think okay, here's here's that, you know, it, that I, when I saw that shot, typically, you know, I, I enjoy a nice boob shot. And it's just, you know, and, just, and, and I enjoy butt shots and all that. I appreciate it. Um, but when I saw that shot, I wasn't like, oh, what a nice rack. What I was thinking is it's funny how how over the top or how how like transparent it was and it felt to me like making fun of that need to include it. Yeah. Can I tell a fun, uh, amusing little story? You it better be amusing, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we know anything about comedy, it might not be. so for, for for years I was a teacher, where I, I taught after school classes, and I 
I taught specifically a film class where I I chose films I think the kids would want to watch. Not necessarily the films they had chosen, but I was trying to find things that, like, whether it be musicals or things that they might not have necessarily seen on their own and that we can talk about in, you know, context of making films and whatnot. You know, because they always wanted to watch, like, whatever's new at the time. So, like, oh, you know, Shrek or Despicable Me or whatever. And I was like... No. <laughs> I was always trying to find different things. So if we're going to watch like an animated film, like watch something that they probably haven't seen or haven't seen in a while. And um, I always try to end the, the the I don't want to say the season, but I guess a <laughs> semester with, with something kind of big and fun. And I wanted to watch Indiana Jones because I think it was like only – it was like rated – what was Indiana Jones rated? Let's find out just because I want to – I want It's important for quote. the story. Raiders of the Lost Ark is rated PG, and I wanted to show that, and I was like, oh, because I think this would be a fun movie. Oh, I checked, and a lot of them haven't seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, and, and I was like, other than the final shot of like the face melting right. and everything, it's it's a relatively tame movie. It's got fake punches and all that stuff, and I guess Nazis, but they weren't about that in school. <laughs> And I was like, oh, I want to show Raiders of the Lost Ark, and I was told I couldn't because it was too scary, and I was like... I guess so. Fair, fair. <laughs> and you know, and but they they gave me a a a comparison film. They're like, how about you show Airplane instead? Keep in mind, I've not seen Airplane at the time. Right. And I was like, no, no, I don't really want to show Airplane. And we finally agreed on Star Wars. Okay, that we could show Star Wars. And looking back on it now, I was like, wait, you guys wanted me to fucking show Airplane, <laughs> where there's there is a gratuitous boob shot. There's racist jokes. Yeah, you can't. And, and then a and then a character who is trying to, that, I assume, sexually solicit a child. That was where you know I was defending the the jokes that involved race, but that was where I got uncomfortable and did not like the pedophilia stuff between the captain and I think Tommy was the character. Mm-hmm. Um, that was where it crossed a line for me. That was there. There wasn't like an intelligent rebuke for that part. Um, that just felt wrong. Yeah. And, like, I feel like, like, because pretty much everything the captain said was, you know, like, do you like gladiator movies or, you know, like, I feel like all that's kind of, like, hinting towards it. Well, but then you one had, of his you first had the ones one... is, like, have you ever seen a naked, a grown man naked or something? It's, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty transparent. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And it was like, you could have had the rest of the jokes, and it still would have been, like, leaning towards that, but, like, that, that line just didn't work for yeah. me. Yeah. Um, so it's like, wait, you guys wanted me to show this movie, and but Indiana Jones was too scared. <laughs> so, yeah, I just thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, no, you'd, you never know what's going to hang people up, and it, I mean... I could have a whole discussion on just the the rating system and in particular mm-hmm. their how violence is tends not to up the rating but but sex will or, or saying sex. a bad word yeah like it's like as you you can punch shoot maim decapitate as much as you want but if you say shit or show a nipple it's over. Like it. It seems just the the standards that they rate at seem strange to me. I agree. I agree. And like, there's no, there's no way. Like, granted, the PG rating in 1980 was very different. Yes. Yeah. 
than it is now. Um, Gremlins is the only reason we have a PG-13 rating, because they didn't know what the fuck put that movie as. Like, well, it's not R, but it's definitely not PG, so they made PG-13. I, I wish they had named it PG Gremlins, to, that yes. they had honored the film in that way. Um, and if you, I, I pretty much think, and you know, anything that came, so what year was Gremlins? I'm, it's I'm gonna be around 90? Uh, Gremlins is 1984. Oh, so I view anything that came out prior to 1985, anything that's rated PG should be probably PG-13. Sure, sure. And anything that's G is 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 essentially what PG is now. Yeah. So that's the way I, I kind of view it. But it's just kind of crazy to think that, man, like, Airplane was PG. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Uh, so, was, Nick, was there anything else you wanted to, This is going to be a little bit lighter of an episode. Yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to say about your fondness for Airplane? And then I should also mention uh, around in this section uh, when you guys are listening to it at home, we'll be having a little bit with my buddy Chad who suggested we talk about this film. And we're going to hear for a couple minutes about why he likes this movie so much. Um, so, so, I will... I. In addition to my repeated disclaimer that this kind of comedy isn't for everyone, I will also acknowledge that they do push the boundaries of of taste and appropriateness. Um, Sometimes they get close to the line but stay on the side of it, and I think at times they go over the other side. Um, But um, that, that aside, I do think that... The film is infinitely quotable, which always holds a special place in my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's the same reason why Anchorman worked so well, you know, because you end up using that film as common language with other people who who have seen it. This burrito is delicious, but it is filling. Um, yeah, and and this is one of those for me. And um, that's fair. You know, just so you know, um, we're we're all counting on you, and, and good luck. <laughs> I don't remember the line. <laughs> oh, that's uh, as as they're getting ready to land. Leslie Nielsen comes out, and he's like, "I just want to tell you both good luck." Oh, yeah. They... He comes out again as they're like landing, and then after they've already landed, he comes into the cockpit and says it again. I... <laughs> Edit that so it makes it sound like I know it. <laughs> Here, we'll just take two. So, yeah. Michael, just I wanted you to know that we're all counting on you. <laughs> Good luck. Thank you. Thank you. We finally made it where we're going to do Airplane, which was one of the episodes yes. you wanted us to do. And normally, we don't take requests very often. We usually save that for people who are part of the Patreon. But you were so nice enough to to actually legitimately buy me a copy of it. So I was like, okay, yeah. I should do Airplane for Chad. Plus, uh, like, you have to... It's a movie you need to see. Like, I mean, all the directors are from Wisconsin, first off. Yes, yes. Uh, was it yeah. uh, David Zucker, Zucker Jerry's... Abram- yeah. yeah, Zucker, Abrams, and Zucker. Yeah, Jerry and David yeah. Zucker, and then... Phil Abrams? Is that correct? I don't remember. I, I feel bad for not knowing that, but whatever. Yeah. You know, they're all from Wisconsin, which is cool. And then, like, I I had never seen it. Nick was, was is a fan of it, but I had never seen the film. So, um, at this point where, where we are in the episode, people have already heard my opinions of it. 
Where okay. I will say I wasn't the the biggest fan of it, but I do appreciate it. Um, okay. But I'm curious, like what since. Funny enough, we didn't meet each other in film school. We met e- we went to the yeah. same film school, but we met each other afterwards at work. That, which is the funniest thing ever. And like, you know, we, we meet each other and it's like, oh wow, like thirty something mutuals. Okay. Yeah. Like <laughs> and then we both knew knew Nico Aldrich. Uh and I was like, What the fuck? How do we know how do we know all the same people? We never met each other. And then I found yeah. out from work, Stella, she went to the same school to study film for a little bit too. She okay. she didn't she didn't finish, but it's like oh, all of us were kind of in the same spot for a little bit. But that's too funny. I'm curious, like what grab what what why this film? Why this? And, and, and I know this is not like your favorite movie of all time or anything, but this is definitely a movie that had some resonance to you. Why yeah. this film? Like, why did you want me to see it so badly? Like, it's it's truly a classic. Like, for forty years now, it's probably one of the most quoted movies like i can remember just in you know casual conversation with my friends and like just you know everyone just quoting it like leslie nielsen has some of the best one-liners in that movie he does and it's just so dry and deadpan but like amazing yeah the, the i remember the line that like really struck me as funny and i'm gonna butcher because i do not have it in front of me but it was like um, we need to take we need to take it to the hospital. Well, what's that? That's a big building that you send sick people or some shit like that. I'm like, oh fuck, that's uh, oh, really yeah. funny. Yeah, yeah, it's like um, a hospital. What is it? It's a big building with patients, but that's not important right now. Yes, that was the line. That was the line. <laughs> yeah, and I remember like that was what struck me that that I liked quite a bit was I liked the the excessive use of wordplay. I liked. Oh, yeah. um, and honestly, like the film is, I, I when in the episode itself, I compared the film to the first Deadpool film, which is also a film I didn't love, but the, uh, but I had a great time watching it. And the reason being is because when you have a joke per minute ratio that is as high as Deadpool or even Airplane, something's yeah. gonna land with you. Um, yeah. and I. I That's- that's what makes it so rewatchable too. Yeah, and like that's actually one thing that Nick really responded well to it. He he he's like constantly picking out the back uh, the the background gags. Like I um, hold on, actually Nick said it best in his review for it because now uh, the Shameless Picture Show is on Letterboxd, and we will put little reviews there. Um, the film is more of a comedy I spy, where every single shot and line of dialogue is either the setup or joke or punchline. Mm-hmm. So and like so, he said every time he watches it now, he's just kind of like poking around and figuring out like, ooh, what's this? What's this? I never noticed that before. Uh, and I also often wonder like what this film was like in the theaters because some. Do you remember the? Do you know the movie that came out like it was the last? Is well at this point now two years ago, Blockers with John Cena and uh, yeah. I remember the filmmakers were upset when that movie came out because. So many jokes were getting laughed over because the film had so many jokes per minute, and like people, the, certain things would get such a big laugh that they would laugh over some of the better jokes. Okay, and I'm yeah, curious if like that. if Airplane ran into that issue because like it's not like Airplane was like the in a lot of ways Airplane was the little movie that could, where mm-hmm. it was a movie that was made for a very small budget in 19. 19- 80 uh, like 3.5 million dollars it ended up grossing 158 million so it's not like oh it was like a little overnight success it was a huge fucking success 
to the oh, yeah. to the point where like even Roger Ebert his his review for the film was funny because he says Airplane is sophomoric, obvious, predictable, corny, and quite often very funny. And the reason it's funny is frequently because it's sophomoric, predictable, corny, and etc. <laughs> <laughs> and like I'm just like so this movie gravitated with people. It was the comedy that in a way that you feel like the world needed. Um, and I'm just curious, like, what it played like in the theater. Like, tell me, when the first time, how, what was the first time you saw this movie? Um, it was on DVD, um, right? I rented it from Blockbuster. Um, God, I was a teenager. I know that much. I think maybe I was, like, 13 or 14. So the movie had already been out for, like, you know, maybe 20 years at that point, even more. And, like, my mom just told me, like, it's one of those comedies you need to watch. And, you know, I'm just like, okay, I'll check it out. And I rented it. And, like, I was just laughing, like, at everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd watch it again with the commentary and see all the other stuff, you know, I hadn't noticed before. <laughs> and then I watched it a third time, like, you know, maybe a couple years later. I'd notice more things. And then even, you know, last month when I watched it again. Like I was, I was still noticing stuff I had not noticed about before, and maybe it's also because I'm older, so more jokes are landing with me as yes. I age. There's a lot of like, cr- like cr- crazy inappropriate jokes in this. Film. Oh yeah, like some of them are are more subtle. Like uh, like a lot of the jokes of Captain Over are a little bit mm-hmm. more subtle. Where like, uh, do you like gladiator movies, Timmy? But then like, there's the the first thing he says to that poor child is, "Have you ever seen a man <laughs> naked?" I'm like, oh. <laughs> You can't say yes. that to a child. You can't say that to a child at all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, have you ever seen the inside of a Turkish prison? Yeah. And like, <laughs> have those, you ever seen a grown man naked? And, like, those jokes, all, like, the, a lot of those jokes worked for me because they were a little more subtle. I didn't like, I didn't like when they, when the film, when it was a lot more, when a little bit more obvious. Uh, yeah. But, like, I also liked Lloyd Bridges' character. You know, uh, oh, I picked the wrong week to stop sniffing glue. It's like, <laughs> uh, and I don't know how much you know about the, the, the history of this film, Chad, but, like, it's, it's interesting. So the film is a Essentially, a remake of another movie called Zero Hour from the fifties. Yeah, and essentially they were mystery science theatering the film while watching it one night and just coming up with gags. Yeah, and people have said if you watch Zero Hour, it is beat for beat the exact same movie, and it's impossible to watch Zero Hour now after having seen Airplane because you're just seeing where they put all the gags in. Yeah, which is like, interesting. Yeah, and I've never seen Zero Hour like mostly for that reason. Like, I would like to go back and, you know, just give it a try and just, you know, actually see where everything was placed. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, I don't think I'd enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like sometimes like when you watch, like, Manos, The Hands of Fate, and you don't have the Mystery Science Theater guys there to kind of like walk you exactly. through it. It almost just feels, like, painful in some ways. Yeah. Um, it's just, it just feels, you know, wrong. Yeah. So we met each other in film school. Well, actually, technically, we did not meet each other in film school. We went to the same film school. Um, yes. Would you say there's any way um, that Airplane kind of inspired some of the things that you were trying to do? Like, uh, we never talked much about what type of movies you were trying to make. Yeah, so um, I was really big into documentary filmmaking. That's interesting. That I never knew. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of, like, the documentary that really got me into wanting to do that um i think it was either the king of kong fistful of quarters 
Okay. Like, yeah. I'm a huge video gamer, so that kind of, you know, was my documentary when that came out. Like, oh my god, this is amazing. I, I get that, because I had a documentary like that, too. It was called Be Kind, Rewind. It was all about VHS collecting culture. And it felt the same mm-hmm. way. It's like, oh shit, this is my film. Like, this is... It yeah. speaks to me. Like, I think King of Kong was the big one for me. And then, um... It was also, like, I, I also wanted to write comedy. Like, I was doing stand-up in Milwaukee during my time going to film school, too. Um, and I was doing open mics, like, every Wednesday. Do you have any? Uh, I would love to see some, I would love to see your open mics. Yeah, like, I bombed a lot. There's, like, maybe one night where I was just on fire. Like, I was just tipsy enough for, like, all inhibitions were gone, but I was still coherent and could still, you know, speak clearly. Mm-hmm. And that's really what made it work. And um, like when I was uh, taking classes, I did incorporate a lot of that. Like I did a documentary about the Forty Two Lounge Bar in Milwaukee. I remember that place. when they opened. Yeah, I I did a documentary there, like interviewing a lot of people who were regulars and the people who opened it. And then I also did, you know, the typical you know milwaukee film art piece based <laughs> off my stand-up just because i needed to you know get an assignment done <laughs> no we've all I tried we've all yeah. done it we've all made a had to do the, the the little art film about your life like i my, yeah. i cast my mom in so many things <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was just you know the di the whole diy thing about it which um was why i went to milwaukee because just like you know oh you know we shoot with actual film I want to, you know, work with actual film and, you know, cut it the old-fashioned way and do all that stuff because, like, the two movies that really made me want to be a filmmaker, like, to begin with, like, not to make documentaries specifically, but just to make film were Clerks and Slacker. Yeah. Yeah. And, um... Clerks was a big influence for me as well. I feel like... Yeah. I feel like kevin smith hit our generation in such a strong way because i had a friend i don't know if you met, knew him while in film school but his name was kavika yes i remember him kavika was great um uh me and me and kavika were really adamant about making a film about nolan bushnell if you know who he is yes oh yeah <laughs> um we were really adamant about doing like a it was and it was before the social network came up we really wanted mm-hmm. to make like a real film about nolan bushnell but anyways um Kavika said it best, where, like, the reason that Kevin Smith, like, gravitated towards a lot of us er, young filmmakers, especially from Wisconsin, is because he was the the Midwestern boy that could. And even though he's from Jersey, but he had a lot yeah. of the same Midwestern sensibilities, where exactly. he was, like, the mid-class filmmaking kid who made it big. And I feel like, look, knowing the little bit, and we're going to take this full circle again, knowing the little bit I do know about... Z-A-Z, uh, Zucker, Abrams, and Zucker, mm-hmm. they are in a lot of ways the same way. So they, you know, like, for example, Phil Abrams grew up in Shorewood. Yeah. Um, like, he went to Shorewood High School. Like, they um, they, they were doing small little theater productions um, when they got the option to write Kentucky Fried Movie for John Landis. And yeah. that kind of, like, started everything for them. And and I imagine that's the same reason that like a movie like Airplane resonated with people like you and people like Nick, um, you know these people that 
all had interest in making films and they could see that um, it was possible. You know, because you look at Airplane, yeah, it's got a, a, big, a little bit higher budget, but it's pretty low budget in terms of the way it's produced and it's shot and it's made. Um, and it's the, like, it's, I don't think Seth MacFarlane would have a career if he hadn't seen Airplane. Yeah. Oh, backpedal bit, it was an American movie. Oh, I talked about that on the show. I love American movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like the first time I saw that movie was on my uh, 16th birthday. I was living in Phoenix at the time. They aired it on G4. And then my mom, you know, heard what I was watching. She's like, oh, yeah, that guy, you know, grew up like down the street from us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was, that, was that also the time that G4 had Mark Borchard uh, host yeah. Night of the Living Dead? Yep, it was that exact yep, night. Yep, because I told yeah. I, I told Mark that was the night I saw Night of the Living Dead. I told yeah. him in person, and he's like, "Whoa, man! I kind of forgot I did that." <laughs> yeah, no, that was the exact same thing for me too. <laughs> That's awesome. So I don't want to take up a whole lot of your time, um, yeah. but I one, one thing that we try to do here on the Shameless Picture Show. Well, we're really bad about doing it, but we try to remember to do it. Was we since the whole point of this show, it, it came to be as an excuse for me and Nick to start talking about films that we missed. Um, that were part that were would be on our theoretical shame lists, um, and to talk about things that we miss that we want to see. So, um, so it's you know like films like uh, I hadn't seen Godfather before I did this show. I hadn't seen The Exorcist before doing this show. Um, is there any films on your own personal shame list that you want to make it a goal to see in twenty twenty one? The first film on my list is The Godfather. Okay. <laughs> Funny enough, it's it. It was a f- okay. So, Godfather is one of those films that I didn't. I ne- I knew, and there was no way, shape, or form that would be a bad movie. I just thought yeah. there's no way this movie could be a bad movie with this many people loving it. But I just had a slight aversion to it because I thought it was going to be dull. I was pleasantly surprised by how good The Godfather was, and how often I'm still thinking about it to this day. Okay. Uh, and I do think you should check that episode out, and and check out the okay. mo- and obviously check out the movie, but then check out that episode. Um, um, I think you're going to be very surprised. And actually, The Godfather is getting a new 4K release this year, so I heard about that. Yeah, and I'm excited for that because the issue with a movie like The Godfather is I don't think it's ever been properly displayed the way that it that I think it's supposed to be. Um. I'm, I'm struggling to think of who the cinematographer was in that film at the moment. It was um, Gordon Willis. The way okay. that Gordon Willis shot that film, he shot that film intentionally dark. And he shot that film with knowing that when it was going to be displayed on screen that you are going to have this, this light emulsion shining through. Um, that you, don't, you haven't fully gotten on physical media. And because people have said it looks far better on film than it does in any sort of physical yeah. media. I'm really hoping with what the technology they can do now, high dynamic range, that they could really make that movie look as good as it's supposed to. Okay. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, let's see. The next one is uh, Silence of the Lambs. I still haven't seen that. I don't know why. Like, It's always been like on my to-do list, and i never gotten around to it. Okay. Um, like I could just do a cop out now and just say like, 
pretty much any movie from the last two years. I don't know what happened to me, but I just stopped watching movies for whatever reason. Okay. Yeah, like, I think the only two Academy nominees I watched last year were Joker and... God, I can't even think of the other one. <laughs> like, it's just been barren for me. I don't know why. Um, but Wolf of Wall Street's on there. Like, I need to watch that. Mm-hmm. Just because I want to see Jonah Hill cuss up a storm. Wolf of Wall Street's good. I do recommend Parasite if you've not seen it yet. Um, Knives yeah. Out I thought was phenomenal. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood I liked a lot. Midsummer. There's a lot of... Uh, Marriage Story blew me away but how good that film was. Okay. So there, there's definitely a a lot of good stuff. And at any point, if you want, just reach out to me. If you're like, I need a recommendation from a movie that came out in 2019 or 2020. What do you recommend? And that yeah. goes out to anyone who's listening to this. I will jump in in a heartbeat and give you some, definitely give you some uh, perspective. Yeah, like the only movies I watched, you know, 2019, like I can, like aside from, you know, whatever Marvel stuff was coming out that people flocked to the theaters for, including myself, I think the only other one I really watched was Mandy. Mandy, just, Man- Mandy was, was like my one of my favorites. That was my movie. That was, I loved that flick. I think that was my movie that year, like my favorite movie that year. Just yeah. by default. <laughs> yeah, I think that was mine too. Um, well, I'm going to give you a recommendation for a movie from 2020 I think you should check out. Uh, you can watch it on Amazon Prime if you sign up for a free week of Epics. You know how you can do like those free trials or whatever? Yeah. And I highly recommend it. It's called Spontaneous. I've been recommending okay. this film to everyone. And the reason I like it so much, so it's like... It's a Juno-esque film, Juno or even uh, Heathers, in terms of its comedy and its styling, but it's about um, spontaneous combustion, Hmm. where it's uh, these these students in this high school literally start exploding. Um, These two kids are kind of uh, trying to figure out what to do in their world, and you know, it's 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 a cutesy love story. That is extremely charming, but then had me weeping by the end. It's, it is written and directed by a guy named Brian Duffield, who has had a phenomenal year. Because not only did he um, write and direct Spontaneous, he wrote a couple years ago for G. He wrote The Babysitter. He produced The Babysitter okay. sequel, and then he had two movies that he wrote came out this year. So he's had a great year. All right, yeah, I'll check that out. Like, you had me at spontaneous combustion. Like, okay, this sounds weird enough that I'm going to enjoy this. Yes. So check like, that just, out. I just love weird movies. I know. Just I know you do. The weirder, the better. Definitely. <laughs> that or just, you know, nonstop, you know, revenge action movies like John Wick, which... There you go. I know it's something I still need to talk about on this show at some point. Yeah, like, <laughs> man, like Keanu Reeves' resurgence just... John Wick, man. Perfect. Uh, All right. But yeah, and then uh, the rest of my list are Jojo Rabbit and 1917. Actually, oh, and I, Captain Phillips. I have to see all three of those as well. Okay. But yeah, no, just there's like that time before film school, I was just watching everything. And mm-hmm. then that time after where I just was like, I'm not going to watch movies as much. And I don't know why. I'm just going to focus on everything else in life now. Yeah. I get that. Uh, yeah, it just kind of happens. Well, and hopefully I can get you back into watching more movies. Yeah, like, you know, I'll go back and, you know, just watch the classics I love, just like any Kevin Smith movie. 
Like, oh, yeah, that was the other movie I saw was Jane Saw Bob Reboot. That's I, I saw that this year. I saw that last year as well. Like, I saw it in the theater when he did the tour. I went down to Chicago for that and watched it in the theater with him, like, a row down from me. And it was just like, oh, my God, Kevin Smith is just sitting right there watching this movie with us. Yeah, this I'm sure that's a cool unreal. feeling. No, definitely. <laughs> well, thanks for having me on. This, this has been fun. Like I said, it's it's what I feel like it's a movie that I'll probably end up rewatching, and I might have a little more fondness the second time. But yeah, I'll be the first to admit the first time. Anytime you you have enough people saying this is the funniest movie ever made, even if you're not trying to do that, you kind of go in being like, really? Uh, it's we show me something. We we talk all the time about the power that our expectations have going into a film. Yes, and and that's uh, I think part of what's happening with you here. Um, but I also think there's a chance that it just on on the whole not your comedic taste, and that is I'd much rather watch a fair. fine upstanding film like Austin Powers. <laughs> uh, but anyway, speaking of comedies, um, I've got another thing to review. Yes, if you're interested in yes. Uh, review so, away. From our fine folks over at Mill Creek, uh, they've been doing this new line of retro, they call it the retro VHS line, where it's like, it actually makes it look like there's a VHS tape coming out of it, and they have the old VHS artwork, and then, you know, sometimes they'll do do new artwork on the inside or what have you. I think it's kind of fun. Is that Kirk Cameron? Um, It's Kirk Cameron and Dudley Moore. What? Yeah, look at that. It's it, the, it's a body swap movie okay. with Kirk Cameron and Dudley Moore. I think I remember that VHS cover from uh, back in the blockbuster days. <laughs> well, apparently it was a staff pick. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so the tagline of the film, Trading Places Has Never Been Funnier. And the film is called Like Father, Like Son. Chris Hammond, played by Kirk Cameron, is a typical high school senior pursuing his general education girls, cars, and music. His father, Dr. Jack Hammond, played by Dudley Moore, is a a successful heart surgeon on the verge of being named chief of staff at a leading hospital. They're about as close as a father and son can be, but they're about to become even closer. In one split second, father and son accidentally change bodies, resulting in a chaotic change of lifestyle for both of them. The son gets the Jaguar, the gold cart, and the boss's wife. His father gets the allowance, the biology final, and the fake ID. <laughs> when, uh, uh, Karen James of the New York Times says, Dudley Moore and Kirk Cameron, Cameron are so clever and charming. Dr. Jack Hammond had one of the most brilliant minds in the medical community until he and his son... Hi. <clears throat> Hi. ...exchanged minds. Chris? Dad? There's no such thing as a brain transference. <laughs> The doctor See ya. is back in high school. It's really not cool to scam on your own son's date. The main bronchi and its branches are evenly distributed about the circumference of the tooth. Riveting. And his son. Hi, Bob. Hi, Martini. Went down the rocks? 
No, Anna Glass is fine. Is a virgin surgeon. Just take off all our clothes and just go at it. Mm. Rubbing and feeling. It's rock and roll. Yeah! You're not all night in my body. You are grounded for the rest of your life. Brain transfers is very inexact science, and you might well match it. Don't worry, Mr. Essene. We're not going to let you die. Are we, guys? No. no. God, this is great. Go right now and do whatever the hell you have to do to get us out of this thing. I can't stabilize him. He's in V-Tech. I'm not going to have him. What? Hit him, Dr. Hammond. Hit him. Dudley Moore. Kirk Cameron. Like father, like son. So, that so, sounds point. like a Jewish mom reviewing the film. <laughs> If you've seen one body swap movie, you've seen them all. <laughs> that being said, I'm finding about myself, I genuinely kind of like this this body swap, you know, <laughs> concept of through some mystical mojo, like mojo, mumbo jumbo, that's the word I was looking yeah. for, you, um, you get two people with switch bodies. In this case, uh, one, um, Sean Astin is in this film. Oh, excellent! <laughs> Yes, which I love, and it's mid, it's it's middle Sean Astin. Like I feel like Sean Astin as a child and Sean Astin as an adult look exactly the same. But for some reason, middle Sean Astin sometimes like doesn't look right. Um, his, in the movie, his uncle is um, he's experimenting with this body swap serum that he's developed based on this these plants that he finds of out course. in the desert. Yep, and the b- film begins with him and this other guy. We get the idea they've switched bodies, and then they find a way for them to switch back. And they're like, oh, we just switched bodies or whatever. And then we're introduced to the world, and we see that Dudley Moore is a successful surgeon. His son, he's a track star, but is terrible at school. And his son, his dad's trying to coach him in biology and all this other stuff. And they just don't get along. And we get a, we get to see their life and everything. And... Um, Kirk Cameron has this big biology final com- coming up that he- I think he's failed and he doesn't want to tell his dad. Um, and his, uh, Sean Aston is like, Hey, my uncle developed this, this, this serum. And he's like, Oh, I'm sure that's bullshit. And he puts it in a Tabasco bottle <laughs> and he's like, no, we got it right here. And they test it out by switching their dog and their cat. And it shows like the cat chasing the dog out the room. <laughs> And they're like, why are they acting That's so weird? That's positive, yeah. And then I'm, I'm sitting here and like, my dogs are afraid of my cats. <laughs> like, that means nothing. Um, and the dad accidentally grabs a Tabasco bottle to put in his Bloody Mary and everything. And then they end up swapping bodies. And it's it plays out the exact way that you'd expect. But if this movie has taught me anything, it's that Dudley Moore is a far better actor than Kirk Cameron. That, <laughs> like, that surprises me. Yes. It does not. Because, <laughs> like, there's another body swap film that I got from Mill Creek that I liked quite a bit called Vice Versa. It's got Judge Reinhold and Ben Savage, and they switch bodies with each <laughs> yep, other. Yep, I've seen and, that one, actually. And that one's actually really good. What makes a good body swap movie is you need to believe that the other actor is really trying to portray right, this right. person. And Dudley Moore is having so much fun with this role, but the way that he's performing it is like I never saw Kirk Cameron's character act this way. Sure, he's so like high energy and like goofy, and eh, I'm a little kid, and you know Kirk Cameron is like the entire time like this is not right. What are you doing, young man? And it's like this doesn't feel like either one of these actors. It feels like you were. I feel like they shot all their scenes body swap before they knew who was cat who they cast as the other actor and they're like just pretend you're a dad pretend you're a kid right yeah they weren't trying kirk cameron wasn't trying to act like dudley moore he was trying to act like an old person 
Yes, exactly. And like, there's this, you know, he keeps calling everyone son, son, come here. <laughs> and, you know, like, Dodie Morris is hopping on the couch watching MTV and just air guitaring for everything. <laughs> Like it's it's actually all things considered pretty funny, but not for the ways that they intended. It to <laughs> right? Be. Yeah. And like for me, like also like what makes a good body swap film is you need to believe like there needs they need to like grow to un- respect and understand. They, each they other. have to learn something no one way. <laughs> and I feel like that you kind of get that you get that. So near the end of the film, when their bodies are swapped, um, they're coming back from taking the this the antidote serum or whatever. And their bodies haven't swapped back yet. And Kirk Cameron, as Dudley Moore, needs to deliver a, a child, and like, um, and in like a restaurant or whatever, because this woman goes into labor, and you know, it's the first time that he gets to see his dad, you know, do what he loves, and that he actually cares about this stuff. But it just it feels so forced. Yeah. Like I never feel like they experienced anything in each other's lives that made him be like, oh, maybe I was being too hard on my dad, or maybe I was being too hard on my son. Like we we get all the hijinks with none of the resolution. Sure. Um. So it was it was fine. It was fine. Um, <laughs> what a stellar review. It, it, it was fine. <laughs> that's the nicest thing I'm going to say about this because I will say. So, we love Mill Creek. I'm going to sp- specify by saying it, that they've been a sponsor from us ver- from the very beginning, and we've been clear with all of our sponsors. Like our our, and I think most most companies like this understand this and don't ask for you to review the product well. Um, that, like, they're not all going to be winners. So what I'm going to say is this is one of the worst Blu-rays I've seen in my entire life. In terms of uh, technical quality. quality? Yes. So reason people buy Blu-rays is to get you higher definition picture. And it, there's a couple things that go into that. It's better color, better clarity. You know, a DVD is, is a 480p image it's made up of less than a million pixels a 1080p blu-ray is made up of three million pixels it's going to get you enhanced sharpness um and a better and with more information on the screen you can get yourself a better picture theoretically this so they really took the heart the retro vhs look because (laughs) this looks like an upscaled vhs tape yeah and it's once you know so if you follow enough blu-ray news like i do you hear a term thrown around um um dnr it stands for digital noise reduction we live in a world nowadays where people are used to their content looking hyper crisp and clear they're not used to seeing digital grain especially because we you know we we once upon a time we saw them on a big screen that we're farther away and now tvs are getting bigger and and we get closer to them so people aren't used to seeing grain and images whether it be film or digital are made up of entirely out of grain it it exists years ago they did a um i I think it was paramount or sony or whoever did a a release of predator that they got rid of all the grain where everyone looked waxy if if you've ever seen sometimes you look at a movie and like something looks off about you you look like you're made of wax you look like you're (laughs) melting there's no texture to it that's what digital noise reduction does it's like the the social media filters that like yes it gets rid of all the grain in the background so that way it doesn't look like some people say grain looks like mosquitoes you you know the look i'm talking about you've seen what film looks like some people don't like that because they're not used to seeing it and they think it's wrong so companies will then get rid of it issue is once you do that then you have no sharpness and you have no definition in people's faces the the solution becomes a new problem and then so then they add a sharpening filter over it to add 
unnecessary sharpness, which add, if you do too much of it, can add jagged edges. Yep. Once you know what these look like, you can't not see yep. them. So I, I, I'm going to go on a whim and say their source wasn't very high quality anyways. They attempted to get rid of the noise, or they're trying to hide something. And then they also had to over-sharpen it. If you, I zoomed in on the image, and it just looked like fucking jaggedy lines yeah. on everything. And I looked it up to see, I can't be the only one who's thinking this. And so Mill Creek did a couple of releases around the same time. Uh, another movie that I'm going to be talking about called The Freshman, which has John Cusack and Marlon Brando in it. Oh, wow. Which I want to see anyways. <laughs> I don't care. Um, Never thought those th- two would be in the same film. I checked blue-ray.com to get their opinion just to see if I'm alone in this yeah. or if maybe I'm just being too harsh. And they're like, we gave The Freshman a lot of crap for his transfer but this move, uh, like father, like son, makes it look good in comparison. <laughs> it is legitimately the worst blue. Like I've got DVDs that look better than this. Yeah. Blu-ray does. Sure. I will give them some credit though. They're they're they have a re- pretty decent stereo mix. Okay. Um, like the audio quality is pretty decent, especially because because Kirk Cameron's character is obsessed with '80s heavy metal. So like they go to an autograph concert in the movie, and it's like it's great to hear get surround sound of autograph. Yeah. Which is pretty cool, <laughs> and. You know, they're constantly playing the same Motley Crue song from, like, their, one of their songs from their first album. And, like, it all sounds really good coming through the speakers. I was like, okay, at least the audio is good. <laughs> that's something. We got something good. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. I, I'm not even kidding when I say it's definitely the worst Blu-ray I've ever seen. And I don't like being negative, but, like, considering... It, for me, I don't buy the discs just to have the movie. If I just wanted to see the movie, I would d- be streaming exclusively. Sure. I buy the discs because I, I want to have better quality and better audio than streaming does. And I would say 90% of the time it does. This is one of the cases where it doesn't. There so, you go. Yeah. Like I said, I, the fu- if, you like, if you like body swap movies or you love Dudley Moore... Or love Kirk Cameron. Like, if you just are a huge growing pain mark. a little bit. Like, <laughs> like, man, I loved growing pains. They should Kirk Cameron should have been a big name instead of Leo DiCaprio. Fuck that guy. <laughs> if you are just a big Kirk Cameron fan, check it out. But realistically, I would say go check out the movie Vice Versa instead. Because Judge Reinhold playing Ben Savage is phenomenal. And Ben Savage does a fantastic Judge Reinhold. That's awesome. <laughs> that movie I highly recommend. <laughs> So cool. Well, yeah. well, thank you for the uh, for the feedback. I'll know to avoid like father life. <laughs> yeah, like, but if it's streaming, at, you know, sh- at streaming. the same time, check out Mill Creek Entertainment for all of her an excellent catalog. Yeah. <laughs> Go check out Mill Creek Entertainment's release of Vice Versa. That one was a lot there of fun. <laughs> so, anyways, that's my review for Like Father, Like Son. Nick, was there anything else you wanted to talk about before we give our sign off? I I think that will do it. Um, except that uh, the one thing I didn't mention about Airplane, I think my favorite thing is that the title has an exclamation point in it, and that for some reason just makes me so happy. It, well, it's, it's not just Airplane; it's Airplane. <laughs> the movie they're spoofing, Zero Hour, also has an exclamation. Okay, point. there you go. Airplane. <laughs> but, uh, all right, Nick. Was there anything else? Uh, uh, just that if you didn't like it, I have two words for you. Watch, Watch movies. movies. Yeah, that was good. That was better than uh, the one we practiced earlier. <laughs> the Shameless Picture Show is recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Easton, Maryland, and is hosted and produced by Nick Richards and Michael Byers. 
Today's episode was edited by Nick Richards. Our opening theme music was written especially for us by The Directionals, with narration by Zach McLean. The end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band 10 Speed. The shameless graphic design is masterfully done by Amanda Byers. An extra special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn. You can find links for all these amazing people in the description below.